This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. You know what can happen when your HVAC partner is unreliable. At DWC Mechanical, we believe it's our responsibility to go beyond industry standards and exceed expectations. That's going the extra degree. DWC Mechanical, go the extra degree. Welcome to Retail Retold, everyone. Today, I'm joined by Josh Weiner. Josh is a principal at KNLB. I'm excited for him to be here. Welcome to the show, Josh. Chris, thanks for having me today. I really appreciate it. Look forward to this. Yeah, man. So, Josh, tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do. Sure. So, um, I'll just go back to um, where I'm from. I'm from a um, small town in Maryland, in southern Maryland, called Leonardtown, Maryland. And uh, grew up there, spent my you know whole childhood there, and then uh, went off to college at uh, East Carolina University, went down south for, for four years, and then after that, moved up to the Washington, D.C. area, where I've, I've been ever since. Um, spent uh, five years working for a large uh, blockbuster video franchisee right out of um, college, and then um, got the itch to uh, get into uh, commercial real estate. And um, one of the reasons I wanted to always get into it is my grandfather was a, a developer where I grew up. He was a lawyer and uh, a judge, but he also did all kinds of real estate development. Was office or retail or hotel. He owned restaurants. He was in the slot machine business also when that was legal the first time around, and um, saw how he you know was able to take care of our family and the, the life he lived and it was something I wanted to do. But little did I know that it wasn't going to be real estate development. It was going to be real estate um, brokerage that. I got into. So um, April um, 2007, I probably not the best timing on my part, decided I wanted to start looking around, see if there's any companies that are looking for, you know, startup, you know, junior junior agent. Um, found one via Craigslist, uh, which I appreciate them bringing me on. That was uh, Thur and Associates, um, who um, Sherry Thur has an office in Florida and also in the DC market. So. She took me on. Um, I didn't know much and also did not know what was going to happen with the economy. So it's times it was very hard in the beginning. You know, I wrote about this on, on my LinkedIn stories. Um, didn't think I was going to make it through it in the beginning. Stuck with it. Um, <clears throat> was there for um, three years and nine months and then moved on to a uh, another opportunity, another company called uh, Renault Consulting, which um, was building up its presence in the market. And there was there for three years and nine months, coincidentally, and um, and then I got a call from um, the company I'm with now, Caitlin B, um, and they said they want to talk to me, and I knew a lot about them. Obviously, I wanted to work for them when I started the business, but they didn't have an opportunity, and uh, met with the, the principals there and learned a lot about them, which I didn't know. The company's been around for you know over 50 years. It's very unique in structure from the other companies in our industry where you can have um, ownership in the company. And that was very appealing to me. Um, and the way that works is, you know, as you cert- reach a certain income level and contribute other things to the company, you can invest your hard-earned dollars and, and buy shares and, and share them with the company. And um, thought that was a unique idea. I liked all the people that I talked to there, had a little bit of a book of business to bring with me. And I started there um, eight and a half years ago and been there ever since. Um, 
think I will be here for, for life now. Um, and uh, it's kind of my journey to get to KOMB. And um, that's been a journey itself to figure out kind of uh, what I wanted to work on and who I wanted to be as a commercial real estate advisor. And the last three years, I think COVID especially helped me kind of morph into a, uh, a niche of, of retail pad sites and land deals. I've always worked with some pad site clients like Duncan and Popeyes. And then as I came to KLMB, I, I picked up the Outback account and a learning care group at daycare and some others. And I really just enjoyed that part of the business where I get to, you know, create something, look at a you know three acre piece or five acre piece and kind of see what some of my clients would, would fit on there. Um, and then also, so I work on the landlord side and, and the tenant side of that. All right. So there's a lot there. First off, you said East Carolina. That's where Chris Johnson went, right? The running back? That's correct. Yep. All right. That's right. Yep. Football fan. All right. Yeah, yeah. Now we had we had some good football teams. We we're top twenty-five when there. Uh we beat Miami um during uh, Hurricane Floyd. Um went into it was actually NC State there, like ranked number two. That was one of the highlights of my uh college career. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that was that was a fun day. We we're literally shut out from the school because of the hurricane went went out to nc state they let us use their stadium and that was that was uh yeah those were some fun games so wow uh did you say your first job you were worked for a blockbuster franchisee that's correct actually as a good uh, good family friend of mine um they had 42 blockbusters at the time so i think that's really interesting what does that mean for i think i know but for those who might not you worked for a blockbuster franchisee can you talk about that and what you did and what that means versus versus working for Blockbuster specifically. Sure, sure. So so yeah, so Blockbuster, they had they had corporate stores and they also had franchise stores. Typically, the franchise stores were outside of the major metropolitan areas. The major metropolitan areas were all owned by corporate. So we had stores. They had stores in Southern Virginia, Eastern Shore, Maryland, um, Delaware, West Virginia, kind of tertiary markets. And when I started working there, everybody knows what happened Blockbuster. And these stores were doing fan fantastic. And um, good real estate story, I guess, to go with this. Um, the owners of, of these uh, Blockbusters were smart and owned a lot of the real estate. So when Blockbuster did actually crash, they still had some very valuable real estate on pad sites, which they still own to this day. Um, so, and I encourage my clients when, when they can is to purchase real estate because, um, you know, you can own that forever. Your business may not be there forever. So, and what did you do for the franchisee? I, I was in the accounting division of that that company. Um, so, and I started getting a little bit more into kind of the real estate end. They had some some real estate they owned. They wanted to sublease, so I got in a little bit of that end of it. But it was mainly just the uh, accounting division. So I got to see you know the numbers and what they're doing and. Um, it was, it was interesting. I'm going to, I'm going to challenge you a bit, Josh. Sure. On the, on the, whenever you can, you should own as an operator. I think, I think it depends on your strategy. So my first yeah. job out of school was I worked at Sherwin Williams and the goal at the time was scale and growth. And for the cost to buy, you would just open up so many few stores. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so. We wanted the capital to go to lease so we could be in the paint business at the time and not in the real estate business sure. and open up a lot of stores. So I think it does depend on 
what your business is and your long-term plans. If you're a franchisee that you're going to have three or four stores, then maybe buying is the best. Yeah. But if you, if you, if you're like, I need to get to a thousand stores, I think buying real estate is going to limit you in the ability to do that. It will. You can't grow fast. And then in the DC market, a lot of owners are sophisticated. They don't want to sell. They're like, you're coming to them and they're like, well, we'd rather have a ground lease and, you know, you know, collect income forever and hold this asset. So yeah, it's, it's hard to find sites to buy and, you know, when you can, obviously, and if it works with your strategy, yeah. But a mixed strategy is probably, like you said, with some of these franchisees is, is the best bet. But, you know, when I've worked on the corporate stuff, like accounts like VisionWorks, obviously, they're just, they're just doing, you know, leases, only leases. So, yep. Um, so the, you know, we're going to get into the state of the market in a second, but before we do, I want to take us to Woodbridge, Virginia, because in Woodbridge, Virginia, you worked on a deal with a daycare Everbrook Academy, and that turned into something much bigger than just Everbrook Academy. So why don't you tell everybody what happened here and the story behind that? And we'll, we'll, we'll take some lessons from that and then get into a little bit of the state of the market. Sure. No, no, I think, I think this is a very uh, good, interesting story. It kind of shows the full cycle of the deal and how uh, a company like Galen B can assist in, I guess, all, all aspects. So like Chris mentioned, I represent uh, Everbrook <laughs> Academy, which the parent company is Learning Care Group, uh, second largest child care, um, you know, in the country. Um, they also have um, La Petite and they have, you know, other brands, 10 different brands, um, about 1,000 schools total, and actually grew a lot during COVID. Um, so a lot of through acquisitions and, um, you know, taking over some dark child cares. Um, so great client, been with working with them ever since I, I joined um, KLMB. And um, I knew they've always wanted to be in this this one location. We've, we've looked at it before um, in this area, wasn't available. The one location we potentially could have gone to was, was purchased by um, the grocery store Lidl. And um, so that was always their plan was to build there. And then um, kind of starts, the story starts here is I was actually at a networking event with, with, with Saul Centers and uh, who's a big landlord in, in our market, you're probably aware of. For sure. And I um, was talking to someone I know there and she's, she's like, you should meet um, the real estate director for uh, Lidl. And she actually happened to be my neighbor. And I, I didn't know that and she was at Lidl, I just moved to this neighborhood. And so got her contact with me, sat down for coffee with her. And, and this was before anybody knew, everybody knows now Lidl, who's in the business knows Lidl's done a lot of dispositions. They bought a lot of property and have disposed of a lot of it. And um, I just sat down and talked to her and she's like, um, she's like, yeah, um, do you have anybody who's looking for property in these, these three markets? And I was like, I heard the one, I was like, yes, like we want to be there. Like, I know we want to be there. And I'm like, but I bet we can't afford the price because, you know, we're, we're, it's a daycare development, right? And these are a lot to build and, you know, we can only pay a certain amount. So I, I call, we have a developer, preferred developer to work with, with Everbrook. And um, I called him up, told him about the opportunity. He said, I like it, Josh. He's like, and um, how much land is there? It says about three acres. And he said, well, perfect. We'll just put, put another pad there on there. So, um, how many acres did they need? They only need about acre and three quarters, you and, know. And, but. and for everybody there, because I'm in development, this is a common developer challenge, which is 
you ha- there's only so much access to land that could be sold to you. And so when you find the right location, but not the right size, you sometimes have to try to make it work. And sometimes the, the parcel might be too big for you, which might price you out. And the answer to that is, well, can I subsidize my cost by actually adding another use to the property? If you're a developer, you know, another tenant to the property. And um, that's what Everbrook meant. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what it was. So, so I talked to the developer and we, of course, got an, <clears throat> got an LOI out right away on it and we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out, right? So my brain starts going, I'm like, all right, we got to figure out where we're going to put, we knew that Everbrook here, they want to be here, but we got to figure out where we're going to put it out. Across the street, there's a great Harris Theater Anchorage Center, Starbucks without a drive-through, natural fit. Starbucks wants drive-throughs if, if they can get them, even if they have to move across the street. So they were in, of course, as Chris knows, it wasn't just like they were in, it was a <laughs> long negotiation, but we got it done. And then the other piece on the other end was Heartland Dental, which is a fantastic national credit tenant. Uh, we were able to land on the other the other end cap. And then we filled it out with uh, a tenant out of California called Crimson Coward, um, who went in the middle. But during all this, there was a property behind the three acres um, that we needed some easements from. And the owner of that property said, I'm not going to give you an easement. You have to buy my property. So what the developer did is he bought that property too, which is another two acres. So now we got a five acre parcel. So they moved Everbrook a little farther back, um, redid the stormwater management, put the pad that originally we were talking up front, and that created a third parcel. So now we have Everbrook, we have the pad with Starbucks, Heartland Dental, and then we have this third parcel. And so what happened was, developer hired our investment sales team. They sold the Starbucks parcel right before the interest rates went up. So they think it was a it was extremely good rate that they got. Yet another investment sales broker sold Everbrook Academy at another great interest rate. Then what we did with the last parcel is we we it's still on our contract actually today with the developer who has who has who does development for AutoZone. And so he has a signed AutoZone deal there. And then we have the last, which there's still another parcel left there that we're about to, we're going to lease with another national brand on. So I say my full life cycle is we went from land purchase to lease to investment sale, introducing property, and then bonus, I guess, we got another piece of land to sell. So this this one idea, this one you know meeting I had with this um, legal representative led to all this. And that's kind of what I, talk to a lot of people about and young people in the business is just building relationships because you don't know where these relationships could lead to. And it's been, um, you know, great, great situation for everybody involved. New construction or an office building remodel, every project has its challenges. And we all know what can happen when your HVAC partner is unreliable. At DWC Mechanical, our mantra is go the extra degree. We believe it's our responsibility to ensure your success, to understand your unique needs that may go beyond industry standards, and to exceed expectations. That's going the extra degree. DWC Mechanical. Go the extra degree. That punchline at the end is definitely the the relationship networking advice and sales advice. I want to go back to a little bit of the real estate piece of it. 
So first off, you, you said you needed an easement. Why couldn't the site plan have been drawn to not require an easement? So for those who don't know, an easement means this person, uh, this owner of the parcel behind them, would they needed an easement. They needed to be able to use their property probably to access. It was an access, yeah, exactly. It was an access to, easement. Exactly. To access the property you were purchasing, the three acres you were purchasing. So they couldn't, the engineers couldn't figure out a way for you to access the three acres with, without the easement. And there's also some utility easements also involved too. Oh. So it was, it was, it was a, it was a complicated, luckily my developer, I mean, he's done probably 500 projects. He's, he's done a lot in his lifetime. So um, yeah, when he figured it out, he's like, you know, I got to buy this property. We got a you know, decent deal on it. And I think he still made out good because he got the extra pad out of it. But yeah. That's kinda so, awesome. and, and you were started off, you were representing Everbrook, right? Yeah. Yep. The developer that you're mentioning is not the Everbrook fan franchisee or owner of Everbrook. Someone totally yep. different. Yep. Exactly. The, okay. And then the next piece of it is you were buying, you mentioned you were buying a parcel for three acre parcel. Then you started to say that you sold off the Starbucks, you sold off the Everbrook and you had to buy the parcel behind you to AutoZone and you're selling that off. So somewhere along the line, there had to be a subdivision. Yes. There's three, three separate lots that they did. Yeah. If you look on the tax records today, you'll see three lots, two owned by the California buyers that bought the two triple net properties. And then one that's still owned by the original developer, which he has under contract. So you're exactly right. Right. Because you bought one parcel and then you had to carve it up and go get go to the municipality and say, I know I bought this one piece of land. I want to yeah. make this one piece of land on paper, not physically yeah. on paper, three different pieces of land, which is three different tax parcels. So there could be three different ownership interests. The group that bought yeah. the net lease properties between uh, the Starbucks and the Everbrook and then the new one that's going to be an auto zone. No, you, you explain it better than I do, Chris. That's exactly that's exactly what happened. It was and it was a lot of complication in between. Oh, sure. Um, but luckily, I think the Starbucks super, supervisor for the county liked that idea a lot. So they were on, on board with that. Um, they obviously like the child care and, you know, all the tenants that have opened have done extremely well to date. Um, so it's been it's been a great project. I mean, there's a Harris Teeter directly across on Holy Road. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a, it's a strong market. There's no land left in the market. So, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's tough. And that's, and that's why I like doing the land deals because a lot of the stuff I find is off market. I'll just call, call someone up be like, yeah, it's a great piece of land. And, and then you know, start the conversation. So you see where we go from there. Then I got to find a developer and there's, there's a lot of those out there, right? But you got to find the right developer. I feel like too. So, so a couple things. Next question I have. One of the deals you did was Starbucks and Heartland Dental in a, in a, I guess it's a small multi-tenant building. Correct. Yeah. 7,000, about 7,000 square foot strip. Yeah. Why did you choose to do that versus pitch a freestanding Starbucks to Starbucks? Um, great question. Um, we just, he wanted more GLA there. Um, just more valuable for the property. We had, we had, an, we had an acre. We could fit it on there. Somehow we made the parking work. Um, so just a higher NOI we got out of that property. By having sure, you're definitely getting a higher NOI if you could add more GLA, right? You're leasing to multiple tenants. Yeah. But sometimes on the net lease market, the math actually works better to make it a freestanding net lease because 
uh, the cap rates on like a freestanding true net lease are typically lower yeah. than a multi-tenanted building. So that's why I was curious. It, yeah. I, I didn't realize it was 7,000 feet. That That's a yeah. big enough – getting the NOI of all 7,000, that's probably big enough. That it would have been pro- I think it would have been – it was probably still one in our favor to do that. But um, we got a good – and we got a good rent from from Heartland too. It wasn't obviously Starbucks, but then cap drive through Yeah. But, uh, I mean, we fit it all on an acre, which is kind of, you know, kind of amazing. So Yeah, that's tight for sure. Well, cool. And, uh, well, that's the, when you, and the last thing, so you were working with Everbrook Academy and you submitted an LOI, right? On behalf of the developer. Yeah. On behalf of the developer. Was that Everbrook's like, did they have a relationship with the developer? They've done other deals. Yeah, the developers done other deals with them. So okay. they're the ones that actually introduced me to the developer. So. And did you, so did you, okay. Was the intent that they were going to use them before this, or did you have to call the developer and say, Hey, do you, you know, Everbrook wants to do this location. Do you want to do this development? What, how did it go? Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was that I knew that Everbrook wanted to be there. So that's, then I, that's why I called the, the developer that I've done. We've already completed other deals. They were single deals, just, you know, single Everbrooks. It wasn't, it didn't have any other surplus land. Because I knew, you know, I didn't make sure he he wanted to do it because it's a much bigger project, um, and of course, certainly it obviously worked out for everybody. So, awesome. But it could have been a chance that Everbrook said, you know, he could have put it, you know, but he wouldn't have closed on it if Everbrook wasn't going to be part of the deal. But um, once we had it all going, he presented we presented to them. They liked the idea, and then we kind of just put all the pieces together. And as you know, it's a long process, you know. And I think we had. We had something called COVID in between, so that kind of uh, yeah. So, down, so let's talk about that. You say it's a long process. When did it start? Oh, I should I should know this, and I probably have it written down somewhere. Approximately, I probably wrote in. I probably wrote in LinkedIn. Honestly, Chris, if I look back, I bet it was it was probably a it was probably a good. We're now with twenty twenty three, but before COVID, you know, because I think so. Probably in two thousand nineteen, somewhere in that range. And, yeah. and here we are, and it's not fully complete. He still has a sale, the auto's on the go. And so real estate development, everyone, is not for the faint of heart. It's not, but I, I like it. Everybody thinks I'm crazy. But I tell my friends in the brokerage business, and like, I work car washes and convenience stores and, and daycare. They're like, more power to you, Josh. But I enjoy it. So, so all right. Well, thank you for the story of how Everbrook and, uh, got to uh, Woodbridge, Virginia. But let's move for a minute. Let's, let's talk about what's, you know, you're in an interesting space, which, you know, the out parcel world, as I'll call it. Sure. And I think it's interesting because, you know, there was this craze across the country in your space post COVID. I mean, you went on social media and you saw QSR brands were were like building three story drive through oh, yeah. renderings for things where like yep. the drive throughs underneath the store yep. and it just got wild that and the competitive landscape for these out parcels you know if you had an out parcel in America there was some tenant of interest and it's still pretty hot but but you know coming out of covid it was insane yep. right if you had an out parcel there was a tenant of interest multiple as you know multiple tenants 
yeah. when you look at like the car wash craze, you know, where you, you know, and I do represent one in this market flagship and same thing, you know, multiple LOIs were competing. And then, you know, with the sheets, media store, I represent same thing, you know, if less it's, you know, there's always competition on out parcels. Um, even if you think you have an off market deal, half the time someone else, someone else shows up at the door, you know, because everybody's looking at the same thing. It might not be on CoStar, but you can look on land vision and see there's you know land not developed and you know you, someone else could submit. Sometimes we you might sneak one out that gets by someone. But that's why this whole developer kind of play works. I have a couple of parcels that we're working on now that are 20 acre plus that we brought developers in where we can put multiple concepts in and then maybe even a, maybe even a grocery store in the back or something like that. So it's a lot of what I'm I'm doing now is it trying to help the developers I work with and the tenants I work with is finding some of these these larger sniffing out some of these larger sites. Um, but yeah, coming out of COVID, my most active client and 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 I don't know what how you guys were, but at KLMB we felt like for the retail side, like it was like two months, two to three months of pencils down, call it. We kept in touch, you know, from our houses and talked, whatever, grew big beards, big hair, and all that kind of stuff. And then it was like back to business. It was like the retail, all the retailers came out and said, we want to do deals. And that's not just tenants I represent. That was kind of across the, you know, the board at KLB. Um, and my most active client during that time was, was my Popeye's franchisee. They're 40 plus um, store, been doing it since 1980. Fantastic client. And uh, it is rolled off a lot of deals in, in markets. And um, because, you know, that's been a great story with that brand, um, how, how they've gone. So. Well, I think, yeah. And so we came out of that craze. And so what's the, if you were to sum up, what's the state of that? And, and, and you're very focused on the DC mid-Atlantic yep. area. So what's the, give me the landscape of that, you know, the land development out parcel market in a, in that part of the world. And, you know, I think one of the things, and I live in Northern New Jersey is that type of environment, right. In the New York Metro area and the mid Atlantic is very different than let's say somewhere that's a lot less developed like Iowa or North Dakota, where there's just land everywhere. Land is scarce where you are. Yeah. Very, very scarce. And, And there's two, there's two kind of things holding back a lot of development um the first being is all the businesses are doing well right now whether it's the full service restaurants to the car dealerships there's not you need somebody really to go out of business when you get in these urban areas because as you said they're not making more land unless you get down to like you know fredericksburg and and stafford and some of the you know or culpepper or you know southern maryland some of these kind of tertiary areas they're not making there's not more in the land so nobody's really going out of business so that's that makes it challenging and then you have the um, the different jurisdictions that may not want the use, like fast food's not the most you know highly sought after use right now, even though they want to be in these certain markets. So their challenge is getting these these drive-throughs approved in uh, a lot of these markets, and it and it's people are shocked they're not from the area. You're you're familiar with New Jersey. How long it can take to get approved, you know? And that's that's uh, that's a challenge too. You tie up all this money on attorneys and civil engineers and, and everything else in between and you know spend a couple hundred thousand dollars and not get approved so that's what kind of risk these these tenants are taking out there 
Um, and developers, don't forget us. Yeah, exactly. And develop, yeah, developers too. I work with plenty of developers. And it, I mean, one of the shocking things I've seen is site work costs right now. Everybody talks about construction, but the actual you know site work costs are, are really high right now. I'm hearing that from tenants and developers, you know, both alike. So there's challenges out there, but we're still we're still finding deals, you know, trying to be creative. I think that's the word that kind of hits me a lot. As it, I just every every day I get to the office and I think of, you know, how can I find new deals for my clients today? What do I need to do? How can I be creative? And it goes back to you obviously have those relationships. You you certainly work on those. Use all the technology that you have. But you can't just sit there and look on CoStar and Crexy and think you're going to find deals. It's, it's not it's not going to happen. You got to have those relationships. You got to be able to understand maps and you know where the development's happening, and obviously um, you know have the the market knowledge and the data, which you know to uh, find these deals. The for sure uh, the anything. Like right now, if I were to say to you, give me the Twitter message of 280 characters or less and define the landscape of the out parcel market in the mid-Atlantic. And I said, go, go. All right. Um, wasn't ready for this one, but I would, I would say it's, you know, highly, it's highly competitive um, across all brands, whether it's car wash, convenience stores fast food, medical. Um, but the good thing about the DC market is we're seeing a lot of construction right now. I mean, you don't see that across the country, but there's a lot of new development here. We even have big box being developed that's creating out parcels. So while it's challenging, there's developers out there that are creating opportunities also. So that would be my. How, how has the capital market disruption impacted your world? I haven't seen it at all. I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate. I tell people on the phone, I'm fortunate to be in retail. I just feel like we're like kind of the, kind of the darlings for a change. Honestly, I feel like in, investment sales obviously are down. They they have they can't they can't figure out the uh, interest rate hikes to the buyers and sellers are just you know off as far as numbers goes. Everybody knows what's happening in the office market right now. That's that's uh, the news reports that that pretty well. Um, Industrial market is is doing well. Data centers is a big player out here. Um, they're paying more per land than you know anything. But the retail market's strong. Even our the shopping centers that we we lease, you know, you know, everything's five percent less vacancy. You know, and that's just like just normal turnover. And I mean, it's and I'm sure your centers. What do you? I mean, your centers in yeah, our market the same. Leased up. I'm sure. Yeah. So. But I, I said the capital markets piece because to your point, there's a lot less investment sales. Construction costs are up. Interest rates are up. Isn't it making it more challenging for your developers to build? I haven't seen that, honestly. And I get asked that question a lot. Um, a lot of the, I mean, I mean, I guess if they're getting the right rent numbers um, to make sense of it, then, you know. But yeah, for sure. Has not been an issue, and I get—I believe me—I do get asked that question a lot, whether by people in the industry or just family or friends. And I'm—I have not. There has not been an issue. I've seen one time with that. The only thing I've seen is, like I said, is the site work calls, but they're still just—they're working it out because they—they they need to do deals. Got it. Well, listen, this has been fascinating. Obviously, DC markets on fire. 
Um, and, you know, out parcel world is still on fire. And that's maybe why it's um, the combination of the two, I think is probably why you haven't been hit with some, you know, blown up developments just yet. Um, it may come, I don't know, but right now it's, you know, it's, uh, things are, things are good and busy and excellent. Well, I'll take it. Yeah. All right. I want to bring you to the last part of the show. I got three fun questions for you. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Question one, what extinct retailer you wish would come back from the dead? Oh, that's easy. Toys R Us. I'm so sad that my kids don't get the experience I did walking in those big box stores and run down the, running down the aisles. That was, that was one of the best things as a kid. So. For sure. All right. Question two, what's the last item over $20 you bought in a store? I don't shop a lot um, in stores or Amazon. I think there's, my wife does most of that for the, for the family. But actually recently I was in a bind. We were at Outer Banks at the, um, actually on the dunes and uh, brought kites, but I had a miscommunication with my wife and we forgot the spools. So I ran across the street to Kitty Hawk Kites and bought three spools. And I think they were probably about 20 bucks, maybe a tad over a tad less, but ran back across in the dunes and my kids flew kites and everybody was happy. So. Got it. I haven't been there in a while, but it's a great place. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. And last question, Josh, if you and I were shopping at Target and I lost you, what aisle would I find you in? If I was with my kids, probably easy answer would be toy aisle. Kids, you know, because that's probably who I'd be at Target with. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't probably wouldn't be there. So <laughs> I'd probably be, you know, with them looking at the toys. So got it. Well, Josh, this has been great. I really appreciate the time. Thanks so much for telling your story. Thanks, man. Appreciate you having me, Chris. I really uh, enjoyed the time with you. Same to you. Thank you for listening to Retail Retold. If you want to share a story about a retail real estate deal that you were a part of on our show, please reach out to us at retailretold at dlcmgmt.com. This show highlights the stories behind the deals from all perspectives. So it doesn't matter if you are a retailer, broker, entrepreneur, architect, or an attorney. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Retail Retold so you don't miss out on next Thursday's episode.